0: Which city are you building? Are you building the city of Jerusalem or the city of Babylon? Which kingdom are you living ultimately for?
1: Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff asks us, whose kingdom are you really building? He'll unpack Revelation chapter 17 to 19 and the idea of two kingdoms or cultures forming in the world. God City, or Jerusalem, and the city of Babylon, the culture that serves the self and seeks after personal earthly gain. Babylon became a code word for every
0: metropolis whose pleasures will entice you away from God into worshiping the created things of the world. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is
1: Today with Jeff Vines.
0: Glad you're here. And I want to encourage you, got to hit the ground running again, Revelation 17, turn over there, Revelation 17, we're only going to cover the first five verses. While you're doing that, let me have your attention for a second, I know you can multitask. Uh, guys, you do not want to miss next weekend. Put it on your calendar. Do whatever you have to do to be here because that's the weekend that I kind of bring all of this together. There's still a lot of unanswered questions. So as I talk about the cyclical approach to Revelation, we'll bring everything together. We'll talk about Armageddon. We'll talk about the second coming. We'll talk about questions like, is it true that Jesus comes and there are some people left behind? Is is there a rapture? How does it all work? How's the timing? So... Bringing everything together is the task of next weekend. It'll be much more clear. It'll clarify some things, especially for those of you who study Revelation quite a bit and think, you know, I I hear what Jeff's saying, but I'm not sure I'm convinced of this cyclical view. And so come next week, we'll wrap all of that up. Now, in the meantime, while we're doing and waiting on that, this is one of those passages. There's no way I can deal with everything from Revelation 17 to Revelation 19. Impossible. So I'm going to take the big picture and take you through it. And then you can go back and read the verse by verse later because because of the work we've done in the past, you should be able to do that on your own now and kind of guess what the symbol or the metaphor means. Let me give you the big picture, and it's a huge big picture. And to do that, I need your participation. I'm going to give you a description of a city, and then I want you to tell me the name of the city. You with me? For instance, what is the city that never sleeps? New York. Okay. What is the city... Where Tony Bennett left his heart? San Francisco, also known as the city with the most obnoxious baseball fans. Just saying. What is, what is the motor city? Detroit. Detroit. What is the music city? Nashville. Nashville, getting closer to home now. What is the windy city? Chicago, Chicago also known as the city with a National League baseball team that hasn't been to a World Series since 1945 and hasn't won one since 1905. I'm just saying. Uh, what is the city of angels? Los Angeles, now, those are code descriptions of a city that most of you knew. As you come to Revelation 17, suddenly you've got a city listed, but you're not looking for the specific city, it's code language. For instance, John all of a sudden sees this vision where he's told that he's about to witness the judgment of the great harlot. You and I don't know who the great harlot is, he knows exactly who she is. And the Bible says in those first few verses of chapter 17 through 19, That whoever this harlot is, she entices the kings or the leaders of the earth to commit idolatry. That she lures them away with her pleasures. That she sits or rides on a scarlet beast. That there is royalty in representation. That the beast has seven heads and ten horns. We've talked about that. It's authority and power. And she was arrayed, the rider, the harlot on the beast, with purple and scarlet, precious stones and pearls. So not only does she have power and wealth... And she's seductive, but she herself exhibits great wealth. And just in case we've missed who this is, in verse 6 of chapter 17, verse 5, and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Now Babylon, by the time John writes this, is a code name. It doesn't actually mean Babylon. He say, what are you talking about? Well, if sometime you have an opportunity, go over to 1 Peter 5, and you'll notice that when Peter writes his epistle, he says this statement. He says, those of us in Babylon greet you. Well, Babylon's long gone by the time Peter writes the epistle. He's talking about Rome. Babylon was a code word for Rome, because if you're going to talk about Rome, you won't want to do it where people notice it, or they may kill you. So Babylon is the word you use to represent Rome, but not only Rome folks, by the time John is writing, Babylon became a code word for every metropolis, every major city whose pleasures will entice you away from God into worshiping the created things of the world. And so if you look at Revelation as a book that tells you the types of events that will occur from the time Jesus establishes his kingdom until the time he returns, John is having a vision to show you that there's going to be major metropolises, major cities. And although there's nothing evil and bad in and of itself of a thriving metropolis, the reality is the kings and authorities and leaders of these cities for time past, time in the future... Unfortunately, they possess so much wealth, so much pleasure that they entice people away from following God and they suck people into a system that is not governed by God himself but by the dragon. Their design is to lead you away. So, so Revelation 17 through 19 forces everybody in the room. You have to ask yourself this question. Which city are you building? Are you building the city of Jerusalem or the city of Babylon? Babylon. Which kingdom are you living ultimately for? The city of Jerusalem, the city of God, a metaphor for God's city in the new world, or are you living for Babylon? And Babylon goes all the way back to Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, we're told that they said, let us build a city so that we might do what, make a name for ourselves. So everybody has the choice. And let me just tell you quickly, have you noticed in Revelation, this is a book of great self-esteem. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that you don't feel really great going out of here usually in the in series on Revelation? It's kind of a book to wake up. I've noticed sometimes uh, we lose a little bit of people when I do a series like this because they'll say, man, I like Pastor Jeff when he's encouraging me and when he's challenging me and when he's making me feel good. Revelation, to some degree, doesn't make you feel very good because it tells you to wake up, stop living in a dream world, come to terms with who you really are. and so. The next few chapters ask us the question, are you building the city of man or are you building the city of God? Every single one of us possesses cultural forming abilities. We're all kings to a degree, whether at home, at work, or in our community. There's no in between. Again, there's no such thing as a non-builder. You're either building the city of God or you're building the city of man. You're either trying to make a name for God and build his kingdom or you're trying to make a name for yourself and build your own kingdom. There's no in between. Now, here's what Revelation 17 through 19 does it gives you five questions to ask. In its subtleties, in its insinuations, in its questions, in its tests, and I want you to write them down and keep them somewhere and go back and visit them from time to time because here's the first question. Here's how you know if you're building the city of God or building the city of man by the way in which you're living. Number one, have you fallen for the trap of false promise? If you're living in the city of man, you're believing a lie. Babylon is powerful in its allurement. In chapter 18, verse 23, look at what the writer says. For your merchants, man, this is powerful. I know we're talking about kingdoms from the time Jesus established his kingdom till the time he returns. And even though we said Revelation is not written to us, it's still written for us. I don't know of a greater chapter that's written for us. Because in verse 23, your merchants were the great men of the earth for by your sorcery, this is a Greek word for hypnosis, all the nations were deceived. So in the great metropolises of time, the real respected men are the merchants, the marketers, the sellers of goods. They're the ones that are revered. They're the great men of the earth. And they possess a certain sense of hypnosis. They lure you. Now, I've mentioned before that I was amazed when I came back in the mid-90s to discover what we call the bug zapper. The big blue light. And I've always been amazed of how bugs continually are lured to this beautiful blue light and they buzz around it and finally it's just so powerful in the temptation, they just fly right into it. It zaps them with an electrical current and kills them. And I ask the question, where is the bug that flies up to the lamp and sees all the dead carnage in the tray below of bugs gone before and says, as powerful as this beautiful blue light is, I will resist it. Not only will I resist it, but I will go back and tell all my little bug friends, don't fly into the blue light. Now you do realize there was a scientist somewhere that sat in a room and got inside the head of bugs. (laughs) And said, I'm going to create this light that will be so overwhelmingly tempting that bugs will not be able to resist it. And I shall kill them. And this is exactly the strategy of the dragon. There's something he wants to create on planet Earth that's so powerful and so luring that you will have great difficulty without power from above of resisting. It's almost like a hypnosis. The Bible tells us that the merchants in these metropolises, if you're not living for the city of God, you're living for the city of man. And the way you know you're living for the city of man is you start to dress like the Babylonians tell you to dress. You buy the clothes that the Babylonians tell you that you should buy. You eat the food the Babylonians tell you that you should eat. You wear your hair the way the Babylonians wear their hair. You read what the Babylonians read. You speak in the way that the Babylonians speak. You start to think like the Babylonians think. And you start to pursue the same things that the Babylonians pursue. And the reason is, you're convinced that this is how you make a name for yourself. You're convinced that your hope and your security and all of that is laid at the feet of the Babylonians so that your demeanor and your security and your significance is all based in Babylon. And you think to yourself, if I can just be accepted and loved and adored, even envied a little bit by Babylon, then this inner hole in my life, this emptiness will be filled. I'll be happy, pleased, and fulfilled.
1: This is today with Jeff Vines, And we're being asked, whose kingdom are you really building? unpacking the idea of two kingdoms forming on earth a god culture and a babylonian or self-serving culture let's continue now with pastor jeff
0: now in babylon there is religion and religion plays a different role in babylon than it would in jerusalem in babylon let me give you an example when i was playing high school basketball i would go into the locker room before every game i'd find a corner and i would pray Now, what do you think I prayed for? Do you think I prayed, God, help me to respond in love to all of these players who will call me names and throw violent abuse my way. Help me to respond as a child of God. No, that wasn't my prayer. What was my prayer? God, help every ball to go in the hall. (laughs) In Babylon, religion is this. It's getting God on my side It's getting God to give me the things that I think will truly save me. Success, marriage, children, money, position. Religion in Babylon is the means by which you get what you truly think will satisfy you. There's religion in Babylon. In Babylon, you pursue God to get your idols, your allurements. You look at Babylon you think, man, these are the things I want. These are the things going to give me security, give me self-worth, give me significance. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of young people in the audience right now. You've already fallen for this. And even though your parents and older people tell you this, you're still probably going to go the way of error. Hopefully, when you wake up at some point in your life, it'll dawn on you, man, my parents were right. You think that These dreams that you have are going to give you everything you've ever wanted. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. There's nothing wrong with having a great career. Nothing wrong with being president if that's your choice. What's wrong is when you think that's going to fill this void in you. And listen to me carefully. I've said it before. Let me say it again. You cannot fill an eternal void by temporary means. In Babylon, you're religious, but you use religion to get what you truly want. But in Jerusalem, you pursue God to get God because you know that Christ is the only thing big enough to fill the void in your heart. Now, deep down inside, if you live in Babylon, here's how you look at the whole Christian thing. If you live in Babylon, you're building the city of man. There's a part of you that hopes heaven is real, that hopes Christ's kingdom is real, that hopes one day he'll return. But down deep inside, you say, I'm not sure I'm really convinced of that. As a result, I'm going to get everything I can from Babylon. I'm going to conform to Babylon, and I'm going to have just enough religion in my life. Just in case this kingdom of God is real, I'll do enough good deeds to get me in. So if you live in Babylon, Christ doesn't have supremacy in your life, especially in every area of your life. He's merely an insurance policy in case the next world exists. If you live in the New Jerusalem, though, if you're building the kingdom of God, you don't get your security from Babylon, you get it from Christ. You're more concerned what Christ thinks about you, not what people think about you. You pursue Christ through the church and the work of the church, not because you want Christ to give you your real saviors, because you really want Christ. You know he's the only thing big enough to satisfy. Now here's the irony. In Revelation 18:14, we're told that the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. Babylon gives you the false promise. It tells you, if you build a city of man, and you pursue the same thing that everybody else pursues in Babylon, ultimately one day you'll be satisfied. You'll say to yourself, I have arrived. When in reality the Bible says, you will never arrive. You've believed the lie. You've searched for self-aggrandizement. You thought you'd get eternal fruit and wholeness of soul and an inner peace and satisfaction when the reality is death and depression will hang over you. Why does depression and anxiety continue to be an epidemic in the United States? Rising at preposterous levels. I believe, and I can say this because I suffer from anxiety disorder and I can tell you that part of it is a lack of faith on my part. The more you get committed to the city of Jerusalem, and the power of God, and the less you care about what people think about you and trying to find your safety and security in your bank account, the more peace you will become. The more you believe in the city that is that will last for eternity, the less anxiety and depression you're gonna have. Let me tell you, Your soul knows very well what you're living for. You can say the right words, but your soul, you can't fool your soul. It knows whether you're living for that which is eternal or that which is temporary. And if you're living for that which is uh, temporary, that which will fall, because that's the message of Revelation 17, Babylon's going to fall. If your soul knows that you're living in Babylon, it also knows, because it's connected with the creator, that it's going to fall. And if your soul knows it's going to fall, depression and anxiety set in. Have you fallen for the trap of false promise? Too, have you fallen for the trap of hurriedness? Look at what happens in verse 7 of chapter 18, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, She is the metropolis, she is the great harlot, she is the city that lures people away from God. She says, I sit as queen and am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Now scholars have great difficulty translating this from the original language, but most believe. That the harlot, the cities of the world that will take you away from God, that they are so busy with luxury that they have no time for anything else, not even time to be sad. Do you know metropolitan cities have two things in common? The first thing is this. There's a lot more opportunities for pleasure. Think about it. This is not a bad thing necessarily. We live in LA. Woo! I can go to Dodger games, have a Dodger dog. I can go to Angel games, have a whatever. I can go to a, a Ducks game. I can go to a Kings game. I can go to a Clippers game. I can go to a Laker game. I can go see the LA Symphony, the LA Orchestra. Man, I went down and saw uh, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls down and on exhibit. Man, I can do We can do it. LA is fantastic. It is a city of angels. It's a city of fun. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is in metropolitan cities, there's more opportunities for pleasure and less opportunities for time. And here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of things to do. I love to be busy reading, writing, connecting, golfing. The problem is in Babylon, if you're living in the city of man, then chances are high that most of your relationships and the things that matter are superficial at best. You become a skimmer. My hometown, Elizabethan, Tennessee is only famous for two things. One, Jason Witten, who's the tight end of the Dallas Cowboys and two, the covered bridge. People come from everywhere to see our little covered bridge and my friends and I would walk down to Doe River, the waters that would flow under the bridge and we would skim rocks when I was a boy, perfect place to skim rocks. We'd see who could skim a rock the farthest and the longest. But I was thinking the other day that we never really got in Doe River I never really knew how deep it was. We skimmed everything. When you live in Babylon, you become a skimmer. You skim relationships. Your faith is superficial. You skim worship. You skim prayer. You skim Bible reading. You skim God. But the soul cannot skim forever. If you stay on the surface for all of your life, and that's the problem, that's the temptation of the metropolitan cities. There's so many things to do. You get busy doing the wrong stuff. And you don't have time for what takes you deeper. In C.S. Lewis, one of his great writings, the senior devil asked the junior devil why it is they lost somebody to Christ. And the junior devil's explanation is because he did two things that I could not stop. Every day he read a good book and he took a long walk. The unexamined life is not worth living. You and I, when we live in metropolitan cities, John sees a revelation to warn us that the temptation is that will get so busy that we will skim life and will be superficial and shallow. Can I, can I ask you, let's be honest now, come on. Which city are you living in? Do you have a daily devotional life? Do you have an accountability partner, somebody that asks you the tough questions? Are you in a life group where you discuss the matters of God and the implications for your life? Do you have deep and meaningful worship experiences? Is worship a priority? If your answer is no, then just be honest. You're not living in Jerusalem. You're still living in the city of man. You've become too busy. You've been sucked into the vortex of the merchants. They got you. You've become an adulteress in your attitudes, in your dress, in your pursuits. You're trying to make a name for yourself. You're building the kingdom of man with all your activities. And you engage in occasional religious experiences just in case the kingdom of Christ is real.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through the message, whose kingdom are you really building? We'll hear the rest on this challenging topic next time. To hear more now, you can head to our website, that's vision.org.au, and search for Jeff Vines.